Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Miami Miked Up. Today's guest is someone who you know and love for his years with the Miami Heat, a Heat original, Coach Tony Fiorentino. Coach Tony has been in the position of broadcast analyst, assistant coach, scouting coordinator, all across the Heat organization. Right now, he's doing a lot of work for them in the community and working with their different youth basketball camps. And I wanted to have him on to share some stories of old Heat teams and also give me some of his analysis of this year's team. I'm excited to be able to do that with him on this episode, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. So without further ado, do here is this episode of Miami Miked Up with Coach Tony Fiorentino. And it is my pleasure to bring in a Miami Heat legend, someone who I've actually sort of known since I was a young kid, but now am fortunate enough to be developing a relationship with here on this podcast, Miami Miked Up. It is Coach Tony Fiorentino joining us today. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, spend a little time talking Miami Heat basketball. Sure, Jeremy. I'm, I'm, I'm good anytime we're talking about the heat. You know that. Yeah, absolutely we do. Absolutely. Everybody listening to this knows that. Um, before we get into any of the heat basketball questions, I do want to start you with the, the question that I've asked everybody to start this podcast, which is, right. what is something outside of the workplace that has brought you joy recently? Uh, I play golf. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Not well. Um, what I also enjoy is um, I'm, I'm involved in the, uh, the Heat's Junior Heat program now. Um, four years ago, the Heat reassigned me to work in the community. As mm-hmm. you know, I worked 15 years with Eric Reed on TV with Sun Sports, it was called at the time. And um, so four, uh, and I, have a, I was a high school teacher in New York for 15 years. Um, and uh, I did, I, I've been running the Heat camp since its inception, Mm -hmm. uh, run the clinics. And so it was a natural thing for me to move into the community work with the heat and to build up, help help build up this junior heat program that we have where we do clinics, we do basketball camps. We started an anti-bullying campaign, a kindness campaign. We go into uh, uh, middle schools and we talk to kids about it. We put that on hiatus for almost two years because of the COVID pandemic, but now we're starting up again. We had one last week. We're going to go next week again. So we're going to try to do one a week now the rest of the school year. So that keeps me busy. And then I also get to speak to some groups before a game. When we have home games, there are season ticket holders, there are sponsors, and I get to speak to them and just talk about anything they want about the Heat. It's really a lot of fun. Well, that's some of the same type of stuff that we're going to be doing here. And we know the Heat can always be counted on for, for positivity in the community. And Coach Tony is a, a staple of that. But when we're talking about those Miami Heat basketball camps, that's something that that I was attending as a kid. <laughs> that it's part of what what helped me find my love for basketball in my own unique way. Just like I'm sure many other kids who grew up down here in South Florida. So Coach Tony's impact directs someone right here personally for you guys listening. Uh, yeah. It's definitely shaped the way I view basketball. And so I want to dive into to some of your basketball analysis here, Coach, with this Miami Heat team that. As we're coming out of the All-Star break, they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, yes. a team that by all measures, given the circumstances, has overachieved. Not that they're not this talented, but given the amount of guys that have been in and out of the lineup, it's so impressive 
to see that the Heat are the number one team in that Eastern Conference. And you and I were doing a little bit of, uh, of pre-show prep yesterday and talking, and what you mentioned was how impressed you are with the Miami Heat defense. So I would ask you, if you had to pick, which are you more impressed by, the Heat defense overall or the way that some of these young guys have stepped up and filled the shoes of the prominent players? That's a good question. I think you'd have to go with the development of the young guys because I think when the season started, um, you know, with the, with the moves that Pat Riley and Andy Ellisberg made and, you know, the, that staff that they had, the excellent staff, they, they added a, a P.J. Tucker and they added a Kyle Lowry, guys that were, were established guys, world champions in their own right with their respective teams before they came here. So you expected them to be uh, uh, bring the experience, bring that championship mentality to go along with Bam and Butler and Robinson and guys who were still here, Hero. But it was the, the question was how deep will the heat is the heat right. is the heat and how, you know will that hold them back? Well, one of the things that I had mentioned for years when I was announcing whatever is that the heat have the best, arguably the best teaching staff in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can speak from uh, experience and knowledge of it because I was part of it for four years on Coach Riley's staff. I saw what went on behind the scenes. I know how good they are with identifying things that each player needs to work on. And they, then they go about working on it. But you got to backtrack a little bit and go back to the fact that Pat Riley has a sixth sense on bringing uh, players here that he feels uh, will be able to handle the heat culture, be able to take that instruction, work as hard as they can, be very pragmatic with the approach and say, look, you know, I don't think you're good going off the dribble to the left. Right. All right? So we got to work on that. All right. And then, you know, knowing that the guys will accept it and then work on it and then do the drills that have to be done to do it. You know, they, they use a lot of um, film these, these days with iPads and what have you and tape. And they show them different things. You see them sitting on the bench doing it sometimes, sometimes during the game. And all of that plays into the whole situation with the Heat. And so you put that all together and, you know, you got guys like uh, Yurtsevin as the extreme mm-hmm. where he's come, he came on when, when they were light up front with big, uh, you know, when Bam was hurt and other guys were hurt, he played a lot of minutes, double figure rebounds. Nobody expected him to do that. And then you got Gabe Vincent at point guard where they made him a, uh, a combo guard where who knew he could shoot as well as he does under pressure. Right. You know, and being able to help the offense when, when he needs to come in and be, a, you know, be good off the bench. And he's got one of the best benches in the league. Tyler heroes made great strides from last year. And remember last year, he didn't have an off season. And so they, they, the, the heat in the off season, is where they really get the guys to improve, right. you know, things of that nature. And so, and then you got Max Struess, who um, I, I liked watching him play last year. He's not just a shooter. He knows how to play. He's very good off the ball, cutting to the basket, moving without the ball. He's a, a pretty good rebounder. He can run the floor. He's working on his on-ball defense, and he's working on taking guys off the dribble. Those are the two things he needs to work on, and that's improved. And so when you look at that, and, uh, and how about Caleb Martin? You know, here's a guy that seemed to come out of nowhere. It shows you how good the Heat coaching staff is, uh, uh, scouting staff is. And it shows you how they can identify and pick guys out like that, like they did with Kendrick Nunn two years ago. 
and take somebody that, that you know the average person, the average fan doesn't know about, and maybe even some of the NBA scouts don't know about, and take these guys and be able to work with them and develop their game. And you see the result of the whole thing. Put that all together with what with 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 uh, you know uh, one of the best coaches in the league right now, with Coach Spolster, a great coaching staff. Yep. And you see why they are where they are. In listening to what you had to say there, in the way that this coaching staff has learned to develop and help guys thrive, I think of the fact that this organization, up until more recent years, was known for taking veteran players who might not be wanted elsewhere and then helping them thrive and get back to their tip-top shape, whether that's, uh, you know, I'm thinking of most recent years, guys like Deion Waiters and James Johnson and these role players who they helped thrive and have career years under their tutelage. Now you look at their ability to take these young guys who are undrafted players, and that's something they've done for years, but this is the ultimate example of that, you know, quote unquote, heat culture sort of paying off there when it comes to the coaching and development. And, you know, in talking to you about the heat defense yesterday, something you mentioned to me was was talking about the the four-man lineup of Lowry, Butler, P.J. Tucker, and Bam Adebayo. And I went and I did a little bit of, of research for you on just how good those guys are. Essentially, you look at that four-man lineup, there's variations of the five-man lineup in Boston of Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, and Williams. And there's the four-man lineup in Cleveland of Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley. Those are the only defensive units in the NBA that have been stronger than those four guys. Who has been individually the most impressive defender to you amongst those four players this season? Well, uh, first of all, I'm glad that you looked that up. Uh, my, My response to what you just did was, I'm not sure that those teams are as versatile as the Heat are defensively. Okay, they may they may be as effective. And we'll see when the playoffs come, how that works. Yeah, and that was just strictly Um, based off of defensive rating. That's all I was looking at, defensive rating and groups that have played over 200 minutes together, right? So that was sort of my cutoff. What's impressive about the Heat defense is that very often when you watch a game, and Coach Spolstra has confidence in the guys, and they work on this, obviously, in practice. You you see, when when the Heat play Milwaukee, you'll see P.J. Tucker guarding out of the Kumbo. Yep. Six, five guarding seven feet, six, 11. And you'll see Jimmy Butler at six, seven guarding out of the Kumbo. You'll see Jimmy Butler guarding Embiid. Mm-hmm. So the Heat are not afraid to go with a smaller lineup to guard bigger players because they, they, if, if you're giving away height, but you got savvy, you got toughness, you got a, a will that you're not going to make, let them score. You got help defense. You know, I don't know. I don't remember the last time a guy drove baseline against the Heat and there was a clear layup. <laughs> right. There's always someone rotating the baseline. You know, sink and fill was Pat Riley's uh, phrase. Sink, you know, one guy sinks, the other guy fills his spot, mm-hmm. drops down, and then they rotate back. And so um, it's very impressive how the Heat close out, the way they, they shuffle their feet, and how hard they work. And, you know, they... they what happens after a while, Coach Riley's philosophy was, and I'm sure this is Coach Spolstra's, is wear them down. Make them earn every shot they take. And eventually you wear them down mentally and psychologically by the fourth quarter because uh, human nature being what it is, you don't want to work all game, the whole game, trying right. to get your shot. 
and you give in a little bit. Maybe you settle for a shot here and there instead of going to the basket. That's basically the philosophy behind us, tough physical defense. And with the way that he can, can um, switch different positions and rotate the way they do, and then they've done a very good job being a small unit being able to hold their own on the defensive boards because they box out, they're physical. And we know that they've almost doubled the, the, uh, the, the, the fact that they've almost doubled the, the drawing charges of the next team in the league. They've got right. 80-something charges, and the next team's got like 40-something. And so that's part of the culture. Well, what's, what's so cool is to watch also Eric Spolstra and his coaching staff continue to evolve and continue to learn from the teams that have been successful over the last decade, starting with their own Big Three era and the way that that helped to usher in this positionless basketball that is being played. Even Coach Spo made a, made a comment the other day, like, oh, I wish I would have played LeBron at center. You yeah. know, And they were already a team that in some ways was going small, more so than most, right? By playing LeBron at the power forward, which seemed almost, you know, having him play in the post was like a big deal just a decade ago. So now when you look at the, the way that the game has evolved and the way that the Heat have both on the offensive end in terms of adding more and more and more three-point shooting to their offense and on the defensive end, picking up from even some of these run-and-gun teams like Houston that were playing small guys at the big positions but now saying, okay, we'll lose some hype, but we're still going to have great defenders and that's still going to be the focal point of our team. It's taking bits and pieces from every coaching staff and every team and sort of learning there. And I know individually a guy you have been impressed with, and he sort of sums this all up, has been Bam Adebayo. I saw you retweet a video this morning that was calling him the best defensive player in the NBA. Can you talk to me about what has impressed you most about the evolution in Bam's game this season? Well, what, what's, it's, been a, it's been ongoing since mm-hmm. his first year. Um, he's 6'9", and we know he can guard all five positions. There's a great clip of uh, a year or two ago when he was guarding uh, Stephen Curry yep. in the corner, in yep. the left corner. Yep, I remember it vividly. Him, couldn't go through and couldn't shoot over him. He was, he was like trapped. Yep. He was trapped by a guy 6'9", you know, a, a guy that's a magician with the ball, you mm-hmm. know, so to speak. And Bam, first thing is to accept the fact that you can do that and you're going to work hard to do it, okay? And obviously, the coaches work on that. He just doesn't go into a game and start guarding guards, <laughs> right? You know, without practicing it in practice. And so, it what it does is it really gives the coaching staff and his teammates a lot of confidence in the fact that they can switch everything, and and to to to, to just build on the point you made, if you can go small and guard small, mm-hmm. you're putting a lot of pressure on the opponent at the other end of the floor because now they got to guard you with size. Yep. And that makes it difficult to get to the three-point shooters. It makes it difficult to rotate and get to the guys going to the basket because the bigs on the other teams are not, they don't have the lateral quickness with their slides like the heat, like, like a guy like Bam does. And so it puts a lot of pressure on the opposing coach with his game plan. How are we going to play against a smaller team? I'm sure that's part of what they go over in their shoot around and in their practice preparing to play the heat. Yeah, well, and, you know, in listening to you talk about the way the coaches have to prepare, I do wonder, because like I mentioned before, you've been with the Heat since the very, very beginning. And so you've been watching NBA basketball, coaching NBA basketball, commentating on NBA basketball for many years. And over that time, 
the style of play has changed rapidly. I mean, it has it has done almost a complete 180 in terms of what the approach is, at least offensively. So I would wonder, as as a guy who wit, you know witnessed and was part of more of old school basketball, what is there? about the new style of play that you can appreciate or maybe even enjoy a little bit more than than something from, you know, days past? Well, I think because of the approach, both when they're younger and then a G League and mm-hmm. NBA, the 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 bigger the, the the players from a generation ago, you know, we came into existence in 1988. All right, Ronnie Cycle was our center and he had very quick feet. He was he would have mixed in well today, except he would know there's no way he could have shot threes. <laughs> right. You know, it seems like everybody in the league shoots threes now. Carl Anthony Towns down, won the three-point the contest. He was a seven-footer. It's amazing, you know. So I think part of it is, it's part of it, what's the approach when they're younger? If they start to put it in their head, like when when uh, Chris Bosh came to Miami, he played seven years in, in, a, in uh, Toronto. He wasn't a three-point shooter. Right. He had some threes, but... Coach Bolster told him, go out to the three-point line and let's work on your three-point shot. We want to extend the offense. And so with that approach and with the athleticism of these guys and the fact in the NBA, you can practice 24 hours a day every day. It's not like the NCAA where you got rules, you know, with how, how, long, how many ma- hours you can have with a guy. So as long as a guy is willing to go on the court and practice those shots, they're going to get better. And eventually... Bam's going to be shooting threes. It's going to happen. Right. If you watch him before games, sometimes I like to watch the workouts before games. He's out there in the corner shooting. He's got that nice little release. You can tell it's, it's eventually he's going to be. And you know, with Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade didn't shoot. I, I tell the kids all this all the time in the camp that um, Dwayne Wade, 6'4, 220, didn't start shooting threes really until his 10th, 11th year. It's in the crazy NBA. when you think about okay? it. Okay. Because he knew what his, what, what his bread and butter was getting to the basket, getting to the rim. Nobody could guard him, never predetermined his move, always read the defense and did what he had to do. And then he started shooting threes later in his career when he needed him to. Yep. So there's a good example of uh, what's the approach with all these teams now with the athleticism, the, how big the guys are. It doesn't matter now whether you're seven feet or six feet. Guys can shoot. And so that's, I think that's the evolution of the game now. It's been remarkable to watch, and it is so funny. I mean, Dwayne Wade's career really is a demarcation of when the game sort of shifted to him. That 03 and then the 04 draft class, because Dwight Howard was in that next one, and to watch him essentially be phased out of dominance. He's still in the game as a role player, but a guy who, when he was drafted, oh my goodness, we can build around this type of center, and now that he can't shoot, all right, he's just a role player. So it's funny to see that. I wonder... With this specific team, going through the, the, the Rolodex of teams in your head over the years, is there a team that this year's group reminds you most of from the past Heat teams? Uh, it's a good question. I don't know if there's been a team deeper than this. I, I, it's interesting. You know, you have to think about it. I, 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 I've given it some thought and I haven't come up with it. I haven't come up with a team yet that's as deep as the Heat. You know, the Heat can, the heat can without a doubt, uh, when, when everybody's playing, if Oladipo comes back healthy, um, you know, it, it, all that sort of stuff, it, it, you, they can go 11, 12 deep without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Coach Spolster will have no uh, qualms about putting in a guy who's the 11th or 12th man because he knows he can perform under pressure because he's done it. Okay. 
Um, it reminds me a little bit of Dwayne Wade's team as a rookie. Okay. Right? When he had, when you had Karan Butler and you had uh, Lamar Odom and you had Skip the Malou, you know, uh, you know, from New York, Brian Grant um, was still on those teams, right? Brian Grant was on it. It's interesting with those teams and you know, they, they pretty much, um, they weren't that big. And it was Stan Van Gundy's first year as a coach. And he did a real nice job. They started out 0 and 7, 8 and 15. They wanted a few teams in the history of the NBA, the 0304 team, where they were had a below 500 record in March and hosted the first round in April against wow. New Orleans. So they wanted a few teams in 75 years to be able to do that. And so that team really developed as and then we know that those guys were good players because they were used to get shot. <laughs> right. Three of those guys were used to get Shaq. So, you know, the Lakers made that trade. So uh, it reminds me a little bit of that team. But this team, I think, goes deeper than any team I can remember that he'd ever had. Yeah, even even with the, uh, you know, the slogan was 15 strong on that 06 uh, championship team. And yet I don't. I don't think that team was as deep as this group. And you know, I mean, we all know we've seen it before. There's going to be a playoff game where someone who hasn't played in the first three games of the series is all of a sudden going to play eight third quarter minutes. And we're going to go, oh, my God, how did Gabe Vincent just score 10 points in the third quarter out of nowhere? Right. Where one of the because they're all so prepared to play and having the opportunity to play these minutes has been so huge for all of these players and and getting a chance to learn and grow. I was saying it the other day that this is one of those times where ordinarily championship teams have to go through all of these lumps to get there, right? They they have to look at, look at the bucks who have had to lose in the playoffs as the same group over and over and over again. What's interesting about this group, the core has already been to a championship together. The guys who they added that were veterans have been to championships and won championships And all of these young players who ordinarily don't get enough run during the regular season to really be able to thrive in big moments. Well, now these guys have been core players for big games for the Heat coming up in big moments. So there's no reason why this team will be or should be or would ever be afraid of anybody come playoff time. And that's something that's really exciting as we go forward in the Eastern Conference is just going to be a bloodbath come playoff time. But I I had one story that you told me yesterday that I I wanted you to be able to share with with folks because you mentioned before how this team and Coach Spolstra's staff do do a lot of, um, you know, checking out video during the game, during halftime, in between quarters, you know, maybe even right on the sideline. But we were talking about the, the sort of early days when Riley was still the coach and Coach Spolstra was still the video coordinator and you guys were going tape to tape with VHS tapes. Could you describe what it was like when Coach Riley was first instilling some of this this videotape into the Heat organization? Well, what was interesting was um, we did not have a video room. Actually, I was the first video coordinator. You know, quote, huh. we, we had two assistant coaches and I was in charge of making the tapes. So you get two VCRs, you get a TV, you get another TV. You know, it's not as, obviously no nearly as sophisticated as it is now <laughs> right. where you can put all the pick and rolls together on one, t- all that stuff. And so when when um, Coach Riley first came, people don't realize that Coach Spolster was here before Coach Riley. He was hired before Coach Riley came. I don't think Dave I knew Wall, that, actually. Dave Wall hired Eric Spolstra. All right. So he was here before Coach Riley came. So when Coach Riley got here, they were in the midst of getting a video room together because that was the new trend now back in 1995, all right? 
And um, one of the things that Coach Riley asked me was our video coordinator that we have, is he a uh, computer guy learning basketball or is he a basketball guy learning computers? I said, no, Coach, he's a basketball guy learning computers. I love and that. And boy, look at this now. He's on, you know, he's on the precipice one day of being in the Basketball Hall of Fame, following a Hall of Famer. <laughs> right. Okay. So that was a great question. And, and so I think he found out right away. But the one what you're alluding to is what I think Ra Coach Riley was one of the innovators of this. When we had home games in the old arena, it was my job as an assistant coach to figure out in the first half what we were doing well or what we weren't doing well. And I would write down times and plays that I would like, maybe three or four or five of them on a sheet of paper. And then with under the three under three minute mark um, timeout, I would go into the video room with Eric Spolstra and give it to him and tell him, uh, put this on a tape, please. And Coach Riley then, as we were walking after the timeout thing, after the halftime bell would ring and we walk into the locker room, I would tell Coach Riley what's on the tape. And the tape was already in the VCR in the locker room. And then he would decide, for example, if we were having trouble playing the pick and roll, what were they doing in the pick and roll that was giving us trouble? There might be four or five plays on there. Rather than talk about it on the board, let the players look at it, stop it, show them what they need to do. And that was Coach Spolster's job. Eric Spolster's job was to put that on the tape. Now, Coach Riley didn't always use it, but when he felt he needed to use it, he would. He had that option. OK, so that was one way that um, you could really utilize someone like uh, Eric, who really understood basketball and would have a very sharp mind. And if he saw something maybe that we missed or didn't see when we scouted, he would add it to the scouting report, add it to the video. And so you knew right away how sharp he was. Well, and to know there, that that go between that was happening throughout the whole staff and, and the level of communication, it just makes sense that. These teams have been able to thrive in developing players and coaching and teaching the way that this organization always has. Like it clearly always sort of on the forefront of, the, of that side of things going into the rest of the season with this team in particular. And I'm, I'm going to make this our, our final question of the day, although Coach Tony, I, I would like to have you back on here. So we're going to talk about this when we're done. But for this team specifically to be able to reach the heights that they anticipate, which is competing for an NBA championship. Obviously, it's going to take this entire unit playing great basketball, but of the quote-unquote big three on this team, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo, which of those three players, and I've asked a couple of other analysts the same question, which of those three players has to be playing their best version of their game in the postseason for the Heat to win it all? Well, to win it all... You might need all three. Right. Okay. <laughs> you might need all three because, you know, when you're saying this, I'm thinking, well, Butler, you know, look what he did in the bubble. Right. One of, one of the great quotes of all time was when Coach Spolstra, after that game uh, five, mm -hmm. when Butler was hanging over the, uh, the railing there when it, during the timeout and he just had he, he expended all his energy. Mm -hmm. And Coach Spolstra said, there's the picture of a champion before he's a champion. Okay. So that. That, that he has to be, right, which he can be, which he will be. Right. And then you got Kyle Lowry, who, you know, was always on the other end of it, beat us in that seven-game series when we had when, – when, when Wade was there, yep. you know. And, we, and, we and Justice to, Winslow was playing center in game seven. Uh, we could have gone – yeah, the, the white side was out. We could have gone to the, the Eastern Finals against LeBron. That would have been a lot oh. of fun. And then, and then, you know, you got Bam, who um, to this day, you will never know, but – 
what would have happened two years ago if Bam and Goran didn't get hurt in, in that finals, in the finals against the Lakers? You never know. You know, Bam, uh, um, uh, I brought this up to him a few times over the years. What he has, what he has to aspire to in the playoffs is the game he had against the Celtics. Yep. That incredible game he had against the Celtics where he did everything right, rebound, steals, blocks, that one block, he had the block going to the basket to save All time. the game. Scored 36 points, whatever it was. He was unbe- That was the best game he's ever played in his life. Mm-hmm. And so I said to him, remember that game. Even look at it to see how great you were and make that mental image, get that mental image in your mind and do it and look to aspire to do that again. So I think we need all three guys to win it all to get out. You got to get out of the East. Yep. And then you could have Golden State. You could have Phoenix waiting for you in the finals. All right. Somebody like that or, or Memphis was having a great year. True. You know, you all three guys have to be playing well. They, they always say this in the, in the, in the finals and in, in the playoffs, your best players have to shine. And that's really what the Heat need. Well, and, and the good news is, is that Bam Adebayo has seemed over the last couple of weeks before the All-Star break, seemed to have that killer instinct, that killer mentality that we saw from him in that Celtics series. Over the last number of games, he's been really aggressive offensively and obviously continues to anchor everything on the defensive end. Coach Tony Fiorentino, thank you so much for taking the time to to hang out with me today. I, I really look forward to having you back on here. I think we can spend some time sharing some of these, these great Anytime, stories Jeremy. from over the years. Yep. So. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And for everybody listening, you can tune in for another episode of Miami Miked Up next week. Tune in today as you're listening to this on Friday for Heat Knicks and every Heat and Panthers game coming up on Bally Sports Florida and Sun. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.